What a, what, a, what a blessing. Thank you so much for uh, leading us today. Steve Peach is my name. I'm the ministry team leader here. And hey, thank you so much for carving some time out to be here in church on Good Friday uh, here at Southport. Or if you're watching at home, we really appreciate you tuning in today. I want to share just a few thoughts with you about uh, the picture of Easter. Um, before I do that, thank you also to Zane, who's our our kids and families, Pastor, really appreciate you leading our kids through this visual demonstration, in fact, all of us through this visual demonstration of how God, through Jesus, has paid the penalty of all of the things that we have done wrong, the things we did, the things we think, the things we say, our attitudes towards God, are all there and all present. We can't solve that ourselves, but Jesus on the cross did that, akin to throwing all of that in the rubbish and removing it. appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, if you haven't been in church much uh, this year, um, we've been talking about the goodness of God. That's our theme for uh, 2023, the goodness of God. And we've been talking about how God is good. Scripture has always told us, always taught, that God in his nature is good. It's all through scripture. Here's an example out of Psalms uh, 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. It's compassion on all he has made. And not only is God good in his nature, it's who he is, he wants to show you that goodness. That's something we've been talking about this year as well, that God wants to show you his goodness, not just give you a demonstration of it, but he wants you to experience that goodness for yourself. He wants you and I to understand what it means to be connected to his nature, his goodness. Here's another psalm that talks about that, Psalm 34. It's an invitation, in actual fact, to you and I. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants you to engage with him at that level, that God is good. This is not the popular held uh, view within the culture in which we live, though. Actually, the culture we live tells a different story. It's almost the opposite of that. The culture we live in says to you and I, God is not good. He's not good for you. If you engage with this philosophy, it's akin to switching off your intellect. You'll hold antiquated values and all the way to the point of it's possibly dangerous for you. That's the, that's the cultural position that uh, we live in at the moment. But we know that God is good. This is not the first time in history where the prevailing culture is pushing back against the view of Scripture, telling us a different picture to what the Bible tells us. Actually, the disciples of Jesus, these 12 guys who followed him and spent time with him for about three years, lived in a similar scenario where the culture that they lived in, uh, although it was religious, was pushing back against Jesus and rejecting who Jesus was. These guys, these 12 guys, had lived, immersed themselves in the goodness of God with the person of Jesus. They followed him around for three years and they watched him heal people and teach people and cast out demons and solve issues for people, teach with authority, 
uh, all these amazing, miraculous things, and they were immersed in it. And not only did they see it unfold, they got to participate. Jesus threw them the keys for a bit and said, I want you to go out two by two, and they did that kind of stuff. Healing people, they were teaching, they were casting, it was amazing. The goodness of God, they were living in this. We're going to talk this morning about this picture and the very first Easter that took place a couple of thousand years ago and understand the goodness of God and ask the question actually, why is Friday good? Why is it called Good Friday? I was chatting with a guy this week, on Tuesday in fact, who knows the story of Jesus, understands that background, but he asked me that question. Why is Good Friday called Good Friday? And as we continued on talking about it, the implication from our conversation from him talking was, maybe the good has run out. Maybe you're thinking that this morning. Maybe you're not really in church all that often. You've heard about Good Friday. It's good. Jesus died, rose again. It sounds like a good thing for us. I'm not sure how, but how is that good still living and maybe it has run out? We're going to talk about this from the Gospel of Luke in a few minutes' time, Luke chapter 23. But before I get to that, I want to just give us a, a quick overview. Um, just for the kids in the room, you've got, uh, as you came in, there's some um, uh, paper and some colouring in pencils and some stuff to do. Uh, if It's a slim possibility, I know. But if you start to drift as a young person, four, five, six years old, from what I'm saying, right, there's some stuff that you can do and just sort of fill out as I'm talking over the next uh, 20 minutes or so. And if you get that completed inside the sermon time, Right, and then you come and tell me after the sermon, I will give you a great big smile. <laughs> Amazing. Remember where you were, all right? So we're going to get to Luke chapter 20, uh, 23 in a minute, but before we get to that, I want to give you some background from what's happening in terms of the timeline here around Jesus' death. These four passages, five passages in actual fact, are where, where I've drawn this information from. They'll come up on the screen. Matthew 26 and 27, um, Mark chapter 14 and 15, Luke 22 and 23, John 13, which talks about the Passover, and John 18 and 19. They're the texts where this information that I'm about to share with you uh, in a really short sort of time frame comes from to get us to the cross. I'm going to try and knock this over in about three minutes, this part, okay? So Thursday night, the day before uh, Good Friday, Jesus and his disciples are meeting together in the upper room of a house in uh, southeast Jerusalem, southwest Jerusalem. He's going to talk to his disciples in this upper room as they have a meal. They share what's called the Passover. He's going to talk to them again about his death and resurrection, which is about to take place. They don't understand it and they don't want to understand it. They want something else to take place. They debate uh, various things. Jesus says as a part of this meeting that one of the guys sitting at the table with him is going to betray him. They all debate who that might be. And they say, surely it's not me, etc., etc. And through that meal, through the course of that meal, Jesus quietly says to a guy called Judas, one of his followers, hey, go and do what you have to do. And Judas slips out of that meeting quietly before they are finished. 
About nine o'clock on the Thursday night, Jesus and the disciples leave that upper room from the southwest corner of Jerusalem and they go to a place called Gethsemane on the northeast corner. They travel directly, diagonally across the city of Jerusalem and they get to a garden that they know quite well. Jesus pulls them together there and he says to them, I want you to pray. I want you to just stop here and I want you to pray for me. Would you do that? And he goes a little further on, uh, the text tells us, and he kneels down and he prays himself for what he's about to enter that first Easter. He sweats, sweat and blood. The intensity is so high. He goes back to his disciples multiple times, only to find them asleep. He wakes them. Okay, you need to stay with it here. But it's late at night. Remember, this is probably, they're about three hours here. It's probably coming up midnight, maybe a little bit after. Three times he comes back. On the third time he returns and then Judas comes back on the scene. This is about 1am, Friday morning, Good Friday. Jesus, uh, Judas enters and he's got a heap of Roman soldiers with him, as well as the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, they've all come in this large gathering. Uh, we have the whole situation with Peter with the sword and the ear, confusion. It's a bit of a challenging environment. Jesus is arrested, he's tied up, and he's taken away from the Garden of Gethsemane. He's taken to uh, a, a place uh, called uh, an, an Annas's house, a guy by the name of Annas. He's the former high priest in the city of Jerusalem from the previous year. They have a 12-month stint. He goes to Annas's house in Jerusalem uh, and they have a conversation. He's not there for long and they go essentially just a couple of doors up the street to a, guy's name, a guy whose name is Caiaphas. He's the current high priest. There's a stack of people around, all these religious leaders, and they have a long conversation in this environment. And what they're doing is trying to draw some information out of Jesus about the claims that he makes. But he's basically silent through this whole process. It's going to take a few hours. And they're trying to get to a point where they can charge him with something. Ultimately, they say, you tell us that you think you are the king of the Jews. That's what we're going to charge you with. Jesus is virtually silent at this point. It's a minute and a half. We're going well. So then he leaves uh, this place, uh, Caiaphas's place. It's about, actually, just before they leave, uh, we've got John, uh, one of the apostles, one of the disciples. He's present in the courtyard of Caiaphas's residence. He actually knows him personally. He's been allowed to be there. And he's listening and watching this whole thing unfold. And he's also engaged Peter, one of the other disciples. He's got him at the doorway, essentially, to this environment. Jesus had said to Peter prior to now that you will deny me three times when the rooster crows. This process took us till about five in the morning, till dawn. The rooster crows and Jesus sees Peter. Peter is absolutely heartbroken because he has denied Jesus as he stood around a fire with Roman soldiers warming his hands. Jesus is taken from there and he's beaten before they go to the next place. He's beaten and flogged by the Roman soldiers. They take him from the house of Caiaphas and they approach a place where a guy by the name of Pilate lives, Pontius Pilate. He is the Roman governor of the time and they're probably meeting in his forecourt which is in Jerusalem 
And on that particular day, there would have been three men who are already present in that forecourt. They are to be executed on this day. They're three criminals and they've been through a long process and today's their day. It's dawn and they're going to be executed today. But we now have a complication. The Roman soldiers and the religious leaders have brought another person in, a fourth person, Jesus. They have found him guilty in their eyes and they want him executed today. Pilate's got a problem. Uh, He's got three crosses and four people to execute. His wife has had a dream overnight, Pilate's wife, and she says to him in the morning, do not have anything to do with this innocent man. It's a warning. His wife tells him that as he walks out the door. Now he's not sure what to do. So as he's discussing this process, he finds out that Jesus is from from Galilee. So he sends him up the street to Herod's place. He's the guy who runs uh, Galilee and Perea, that region, sends him up there and he stands before Herod. Herod finds no issue, sends him back to Pilate. This is all unfolding. After we went up the street, Jesus was beaten again. He comes back to uh, Pilate's uh, forecourt and Pilate has one option available to him. He has the ability to pardon a person here. He's got four guys, three crosses. Execution is happening today and Romans do death better than anybody. They've prepped this well, but the numbers don't add up. Pilate has the option of um, pardoning a person, saying, hey, who do you... He takes it to the crowd. He says, I find no guilt in, in, in this person, in Jesus. Are you happy for me to pardon him? They go, no. Free Barabbas. The religious leaders have put this together and made this picture unfold. And so Barabbas is there, uh, who is a known criminal. It looks like all of this is just sort of unfolding kind of haphazardly, um, but actually God knows all about this. The picture here for Barabbas is that um, he's about to be executed. He's had a long trial, he's guilty, and today's the day. But now the crowd are calling for him to be free, to be pardoned, to be released. In this time and season, your name meant something. It was about you. Uh, A guy in the Bible called uh, Bartimaeus, uh, who we see is healed by Jesus, his name means uh, son of Timaeus. Timaeus is his father. It would be quite normal for you to carry the name of your ancestors as you are named as a young person. Bar means son of, son of Timaeus. And here we have Barabbas. His name means Bar, son of, uh, Anna, which means father, son of father. But we don't know his history, we don't know his story. He doesn't carry his father's name because his father is unknown. He is the son of an unknown father. He's an illegitimate child, he's a criminal, he's guilty. And he's about to be executed. But Jesus, the son of the one true God, is going to step in and take his place. The son, the illegitimate, guilty son of an unknown father is about to be pardoned and released of all of his history and his guilt and Jesus, the innocent, will step in and take his place. God knows exactly what's going on in this situation. Two minutes, 30. Pilate has one 
last crack at it, and they say, no, we want Jesus to be executed. Jesus is beaten again for a third time and then told with the other two criminals to walk up to Golgotha, the place known as the skull. That's where the execution will take place. Three crosses have been uh, prepared, three holes have been dug. You've got to carry your own cross beam, this one here, up to that mountain. Jesus is carrying his, but because he's so exhausted, he's been beaten multiple times, he can't even carry it. And Simon from Cyrene is pulled out of the crowd and carries his cross up for him. 9am, Jesus is executed alongside these two other criminals. Maybe you're here today, you're in church, it's not part of your regular routine, your normal rhythm, and you're thinking about those two questions that I mentioned before. Why is this good? Why is Good Friday good? Not Black Friday, Sad Friday, Dark Friday, Why is it Good Friday? And actually, does this process mean that the good has run out? The death of Jesus. Many of us ask those questions based on our circumstance. We ask the questions about the goodness of God and where he exists based on what's happening to us. We've got a diagnosis. We've got a relationship that is broken in our environment. We've lost a child or... We're battling with the cost of living and the challenges that we face. Or just the grind of life over the last few years is really weighing on us. And we say, hey, is God really good? And has his goodness run out before it reached me? Is that what's happening? I think those questions are going through the minds of people in this passage. Luke 23 which is the verse that I said that I would get to. That's the summary. That was just under three minutes. I've nailed that. Luke 23 says this. Let me read just a few verses to you. They'll come up on the screen, starting from verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saves others, let him save himself. If he's, the, if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written on a notice above him which read the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. If you're looking at this story of Jesus through the eyes of those who were present, there were lots of people present. Execution in Roman times was a public thing. It was an example. It was a, a, a warning to not do the things that these people did. Don't have the same list that these guys have, lest you suffer the same fate. Many people were present and watched on here. One of those watching on is going to be on on his own cross, watching this story unfold with Jesus. The easy thing to do, the simple thing to do if you're in that situation 
as the soldiers and the crowd and the religious leaders all mock Jesus. The simple and obvious thing to do is just get on board, isn't it? Just do the same thing. You're literally about to die and go, hey, why don't we just lay into this guy while I'm here? One of those criminals does that. But the other one, he has seen something. He's probably been present since that early morning time in Pilate's forecourt. And he's watched and observed, and his summation is different. Here's what he says, starting at verse 40. He talks to the other criminal. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. Our list, the things that we've done wrong, the the objections and the hostility that we've had to God and towards people, we're getting what we deserve, he says. But this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Then he makes this request. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This guy, hanging on a cross, has the option to do what everyone else is doing. The popular voice around him. Just mock Jesus and pay the price. But he makes this statement. We're getting what we deserve. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now listen, theologically, this has got holes all through it, this question. It's not well framed at all. It has no reference to repentance. It offers no sort of concept of the deity of Jesus and the Godhead. He has missed the mark Everywhere, theologically, in this request of Jesus. But what he hasn't done is give up. It's a heart cry. It's just his soul crying out, saying, Jesus, remember me. Save me. This was why Friday is good. This criminal who hangs on a cross next to to Jesus sees something that others don't see. He sees something that could potentially change his eternal destiny. And so with his heart, he reaches out towards God, knowing his own history, that he's guilty, that the list is credible. He's been found wanting, having been weighed. He's come up short. And Jesus' answer to this guy is truly remarkable. Today you will be with me in paradise. Has God's goodness run out? Even as Jesus hangs on a cross? No way. God knew all that was going to take place here. He knew the heart of these guys. He knows Barabbas intimately. He knows the religious leaders and he knows what Jesus is doing. He's paying the penalty. 
It's happening right now. Your list and mine is being screwed up and thrown in the bin. And this guy, at his last moment, has the opportunity to enter the kingdom. The story that God is telling here is that his goodness extends to the fringe, to the edge, to the guilty, to you and to I. My prayer for you is that this weekend, this Easter 2023, no matter what you think is on your list that is irredeemable, unsolvable, unforgivable, that you will see something in Jesus, the story of Jesus, the act of his gift on the cross. When you think, there's no way, I am done, that you can see something that maybe others don't see, that Jesus' goodness extends to you. Today, right now. I wonder where you would position yourself. There were spectators everywhere. Religious leaders who were self-righteous. Roman soldiers who were carrying out their tasks. Onlookers who wanted to watch this because they loved the goriness. And those that followed Jesus and loved him. To those who respond in the moment from literally their own execution. I wonder where you would be, where you would see yourself in that environment. It would be my prayer that you would see yourself as one who is willing to break with the norm and respond to the heart of Jesus. I'm going to pray in just a moment and we're going to have the worship team come up and conclude our service. But Today we've kind of looked at this picture of the cross through the eyes of someone who was right alongside Jesus. Uh, Bryce Saville, our executive pastor on Sunday, is going to look at the same story of Jesus' death and resurrection through the eyes of others who were present and see what they see. Uh, my encouragement to you would be to be here if you can, uh, tune in if you can't, uh, but my prayer for you is that you would see what God wants you to see through the story of Jesus. And that is that the list that you and I carry, that we can't get into the basket ourselves, has been dealt with by Jesus, solved on the cross. All we need to do is let him put it in the basket for us. Let me pray for you, and then the worship team will come and lead us. Let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you that Easter exists that we have these accounts that tell the story of your goodness reaching into our lives today, redeeming us from our own brokenness and our rejection of you and restoring our connection with our Creator, our Heavenly Father. Through the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that we are not the sons of an unknown person or an unknown God. We are sons and daughters of the only true God. And Lord, for those of us who maybe don't know that, maybe haven't experienced that for ourselves, I pray that your spirit would just stir our hearts to make a choice and a decision today to follow you. 
commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.